You need a little bit of nasty, don't you? They're the little battles you need to win if Munster wanted to win this game. He lives and breathes line-out. How do they pick themselves up from this? The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. The Football Show on Off The Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more. Live on Sky Sports. I'm prepared to end my well, do it then. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should there be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh. Now you're welcome along to The Football Show. Later on, Dion Fanning will join us to chat all things Champions League and beyond. Latest in Madrid, nil all on the night. One nil, of course, to Manchester City on aggregate. So very finely balanced, 52 minutes on the clock. Phil Foden going around with a Terry Butcher style head bandage. So he's been roughed up is the general assessment from afar in this game. But uh, still looking for the breakthrough. Man City just to... Uh, calm nerves a touch and put this game beyond Atletico. Gundogan did hit the upright in the first half and City have had the majority of possession as you might expect but no breakthrough yet on the night. Meanwhile at Anfield things more comfortable for Liverpool as you might expect. They are 4-2 up on aggregate so one all on the night. Canade opened the scoring for Liverpool. Benfica have equalised but there's a two goal cushion there for Liverpool. Uh, much changed. Uh, Jurgen Klopp obviously bemoaning uh, pre-match the fixture pile-up for Liverpool. So he has gone with a midfield three for instance of Milner and Henderson and Keita. A front three of Diaz, Firmino and Jada. No Van Dijk in the centre of defence either. No Trent Alexander-Arnold. It's Gomez, Joel Matip, Canade, Simicas as their back four. He was also bemoaning the fact that after their First leg semi-final against Villarreal. Their Premier League game is going to be half past 12. Newcastle away, lunchtime kickoff Saturday. And called out BT Sport again. So already earmarking the Des Kelly, Jurgen Klopp tussle post-match in that game. That is where we are then the Champions League this evening thus far. Very happy to say we are joined by Nick Miller of The Athletic, who is on the line. Hey, Nick. Hello, how are you doing? Yeah, very well. Great to have you with us. So uh, the papers today awash with reports of Eric Ten Hag agreeing a three-year deal with Manchester United. Manchester United do have the option of a fourth year if they so wish. It was uh, reported initially that much of this week was about Ten Hag looking for assurances on the powers he would have, the control he would have. It seems that, uh, well, according to, for instance, Jason Burt here, that wasn't quite the case, that he's uh, far more amenable, for instance, to having a director of football with him. He never demanded, it seems, full control on transfers. So it seems like conversations were maybe less uh, stressful than we might have uh, first thought. You have written a piece, The Education of Eric Ten Hag, which gives us a great insight into the man himself and where he has come from. How familiar were you with Ten Hag's background before the piece, Nick? Uh, Not a huge amount. Um, about him before he took over at Ajax. I obviously knew him primarily from that incredible Champions League run in uh, 2019. Um, And I knew that he'd obviously basically had to rebuild the Ajax team um, after that to win the league, well, win the league last season, probably win the league this season as well. Um, But And I was kind of vaguely aware that he'd worked at Bayern Munich at some point, but... Um, I, I didn't really know a huge amount about his uh, career before that. Um, I knew he, he wasn't a particularly famous player, um, uh, but I, I didn't realise things like he was actually you know, Steve McLaren's um, assistant at FC20, and that's kind of 
<laughs> you would think that a um, a uh, junior coach like him would would uh, have learned would be the one learning from the, uh, the the senior man who'd obviously not terribly successfully, but who had managed internationally before. Um, but from talking to McLaren himself, it, it sounds like it was very much the other way around that it was Ten Hag who was doing the educating as opposed to McLaren. McLaren was absolutely effusive. We'll come back to the earlier part of Ten Hag's life, but seeing as you mentioned McLaren, his comments effusive when it came to Ten Hag's uh, football acumen. So, according to your piece here, McLaren said of Ten Hag, without a shadow of a doubt, that he would not just be an excellent number two, but a fantastic number one at some point. That was his impression of Ten Hag when he was working under him. He could see things in the game that nobody else could see, said Steve McLaren, myself included. I have to sit up in the stands to see the patterns of a game, but Eric could stand on the touchline and see them. He always knew the answer to everything, how to change shape, change positions. His adjustments in the games, and obviously I had worked with Sir Alex Ferguson, and I used to think that sometimes some of his subs and changes were strange, but they always worked. Eric is the same in that respect. So McLaren here is painting Ten Hag as a kind of savant. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I, I was uh, I, I obviously expected him to be kind of broadly positive about Ten Hag. Otherwise, you know, he probably wouldn't have agreed to talk to me about it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he, it, 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 I, I was slightly taken aback with just how um, effusive he was. I mean, he kind of... He didn't quite because Ten Hag was only with McLaren for for one season at Twente, and he that wasn't the season that they that they won the Eredivisie. Um, he had le- he left after the first season of McLaren, but he, he, McLaren didn't quite give Ten Hag all the credit for winning the league title that he wasn't even there for. But he, you know, he was he was getting pretty close to it. He he. It basically, he gave the impression that Ten Hag in that first season sort of ran the show and McLaren was just there to kind of, you know, make the big calls and, do, you know, do big smiles for the media and uh, handle all the, the the press duties and, and so on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, the, while I was talking to him, the more cynical part of my brain was thinking, hmm, this is... The, you're... Uh, you're being very effusive. Are you, are you angling for a little job here, Steve? Are you? I'm not, you know, not sure. Um, it, it doesn't seem like uh, at the moment. It doesn't seem like that's that's going to be the case. But um, it that that's kind of the impression that, that I got. McLaren slams Ten Hag would have been uh, an interesting <laughs> piece as well. Yeah. So yeah, well, yeah. It really jumped out. By the way, as an aside, it maybe think when when McLaren is talking here about how well I can only really spot patterns in a game and, and lots of us can only spot patterns in a game when we have that slightly higher view from the stands it did make me think why are you not all watching the games from high up in the stands if that's the case like he's, a, he's got Ten Hag can actually see the patterns from touchline so that jumped out to me as well as interesting yeah yeah it's it's like you know what are you what, what are you it, the, the, the touchline stuff always feels very performative anyway it's just like you know You've got to stay down here, stand on there to be immediate and be close to the players and shout things that they have no possible chance of hearing. Mm. Um, and you know, maybe argue with the opposition coach a little bit more. But yeah, it, it, I, I'm always slightly baffled as to why managers don't sit up in the stands a lot more. Sam Allardyce used to do it famously, and yeah. you know, um, you, well, you can say an awful lot about Sam Allardyce. He um, uh, he wasn't scared of doing things that other managers wouldn't. Um, so yeah, it, it is it is a bit of an odd one. So tell us a little bit about Ten Hag, the player, and the initial years in football. 
Well, he wasn't. He was a sort of fairly modest player. He um, had a sort of, you know, a, a, a very good Eredivisie career. He never played for the Netherlands. Um, he was a kind of defender. Sometimes played in midfield. Um, he had three spells at FC Twente, which was his local club. Um, and then he uh, retired when he was only thirty-two. And I, I obviously I didn't get the chance to speak to him to ask him the exact reasons for his retirement. But the impression I got from speaking to people and reading stuff that had previously been written about him is that he essentially retired because he didn't really think he had anything else left to prove or anything else left to learn. And the other impression that I got was that he was one of those players who was sort of only really playing to prepare himself for being a coach. It felt like that it was always that's always what he wanted to do rather than just be a player. People, I spoke to people who have known him for a very long time and who you know knew, knew him as a kid and played with him throughout his youth career. Um, and they always say he, you know, he would always think think very deeply about the game, and he would always kind of be the first to ask questions about the coach if they made a decision that he didn't quite um, agree with, and to the point of irritation to a lot of these coaches. One of them, one of them did actually sort of ban him for a couple of games because um, he was basically chipping off slightly too much at the uh, at the coach, and you know it would be quite frequent that a coach would have to say, yeah, "All right, Eric, just I mean I'm in charge. You just pipe down for a bit, will you?" Um, and yeah, he he grew up in um, uh, in Hachsbergen, which is a, a small town near Enschede, which um, is where Twente is based. Um, his family owns one of the kind of big probably the biggest sort of estate agent slash financial services industry in the region so the family weren't short of a few quid um and he didn't need to go into football and in fact his family weren't particularly keen on him going to football i think they they would have rather have he'd he'd gone into the family business with his two brothers um but you know the, the, the thing that, and you know they would say this, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they? But all, all the people who knew him were very keen to say that while the family had money, he wasn't spoiled. He always had to work for everything. Um, but yeah, he. It, I, I kind of wondered whether um, that sort of fed into why he wanted to be a coach as well. He's he got the impression that his family was slightly disapproving of the idea of him actually playing football, but something a little bit more you know, cerebral, like being a coach might have been a little bit more acceptable to him. Mm. So tell us then about his first forays into coaching. Yeah, so he he started out coaching at Twente. He stayed there for, about, I think he was eight, nine, eight or nine years, um, all told, and worked his way up through um, through the ranks. He um, His sort of coaching mentor was uh, Fred Rutten, who um, was kind of, Dutch coaching stalwart from the 90s and 2000s. Um, he worked under under him quite a lot at Twente. And then when McLaren came, he was the kind of obvious choice to be his assistant. He then left Twente in, uh, let's get the dates right, 2009, I think, to go and work as Fred Rutten's assistant, who was at PSV at that time. Then after a, f- a couple of years there, he went to Go Ahead Eagles, who at that time were in the Dutch second division. Um, they hadn't been in the top tier for 16 or 17 years, and he got them promoted in his first season there. Mm. Um, and the kind of, uh, 
at that point, the sort of natural move you would have thought was either to stay stay with Go Ahead Eagles and kind of build on the success he'd already had there, maybe go to a slightly bigger um, Dutch team. McLaren said he, he expected him to kind of go to someone like Groningen or Heron Vein or back to Tentoe where he probably would have got the, the number one job at, at some point. Um, but instead he went to uh, capture the Bayern Munich second team, um, which it was partly, I think, motivated by his. Uh, he he he's he's always made most of his coaching decisions, and whether Manchester United falls into this will, will remains to be seen. Uh, very kind of sensibly and shrewdly, and it's all about what will make him a better coach, what will educate him more, rather than what will kind of you know further his career in a in a more kind of obvious way. Mm. Um, it, it is a very interesting move. So as you say, uh, mm. most coaches, if they're to have a rise in the game, they need that go-ahead Eagles type moment where they get on a fashionable club, which has never been promoted, promoted, and that marks everybody's card and earmarks them for future greatness. And as you say, at that point, you would rightly think, well, bigger job in the Eredivisie is the sensible move and the natural move. At Munich... To what extent did he have exposure to Guardiola, for instance, or, or what do we know of his time in Munich? Because this does seem to be discussed and, and pointed to as very formative. Yeah, I, I, I think that was one. That was one of the key reasons that he he went there to learn from Guardiola. Um, I th- I think that they 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 worked worked together to uh, to some extent. But um, they're quite sort of separate jobs. They're not quite, you know, completely different. You know, two clubs within a club kind of thing. Mm. But he was very much left to because they, they were playing in the German third or fourth tier. So it's sort of quite. It's obviously a very competitive um, level of football. And so he was, I think, broadly left to run the team as he pleased. But obviously he would pick Guardiola's brain about some things he's talked in the past about the things he he learned from Guardiola. And the, it's interesting that, that he, then speaking to people who he coached after his spell at Munich, they would talk about the, the kind of similarities between the two, the, the, you know, in terms of personality more than necessarily in terms of style of football. So, you know, both essentially control freaks, um, they both um, both quite intense characters, both very, very detailed in terms of their planning, um, which I think he was like before he, he went to, to Bayern. But um, those couple of years he spent there really kind of enhanced and added to the qualities he already had. Yeah, there were some really interesting comments. For instance, if you stay with the Munich experience for a time, Stefan Buck, veteran defender, played for the Bayern reserve team that season under Ten Hag, he said it was a little bit different to what we had done before. It was new for us to focus on a two metre pass, for example. He would tell us we had to be stronger. We would look at him and say, what do you want from me? It's just a two metre pass. But he would say you have to play stronger and faster. We have to have precision. In the beginning, it was difficult for us to understand these things because we had never focused on two metre passes before. But with time, we knew that his way would be successful. And after he left, we understood more about his way of coaching. He also gave a nice insight into Ten Hag's man management and his personality. His focus was also to be a gentleman. He didn't lose his temper on the pitch. He always had perspective. When he was angry, he would never show it to the team or the referee. You would always see that he rose above the problem. So that hints at the attention to detail, the focus on something like a 
a two metre pass. And there are other examples of the attention to detail, even at training, all the players have to wear the same socks. I mean, in some respects, you wonder what that has to do with anything. But I guess he's got his reasons and maybe it's about setting a standard. And there was another story about a training session where he explained that different coloured bibs should be placed in separate piles rather than all chucked in together. Again, you wonder in the grand scheme of things. These are exactly the kind of things, Nick, that if this doesn't work out in two to three years time and you're doing the post-mortem piece on what went wrong at Old Trafford, there will be an anonymous player saying he was weird. He asked us to put our bibs in different piles and made sure we had to all wear the same socks. We found this a bit daft. The, you know, it, uh, yeah. the victors write history and all that. Yeah, exactly. That. I, I was, I was going to make exactly exactly that point. You're always slightly wary of um, presenting those things as proof of this guy's genius. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, they are, I think that they're just examples of, of his um, attention to detail and very often, you know, those things don't matter at all. Um, but it, it was just as kind of illustration of how how well he prepares things. I was kind of reminded of um, the thing that Marcello Bielsa said a few years ago when um, I think it was around the time when um, they got caught spying on Derby's training. Mm. And he then gave a sort of punishingly long press conference where he explained exactly why they do this kind of thing. Yeah. And he at the end of this, he's kind of conceded, yeah, I have prepared. It's almost certainly a waste of time, but it kind of makes me feel better. Um, and I was sort of reminded of that when I was he- hearing all these kind of stories about um, Ten Hag's sort of incredible attention to detail on things that, as you say, probably don't matter in themselves, but are indicative of kind of wider attitude. Yeah. Any other examples of attention to detail that struck you? I mean, the just going back to McLaren, he, he would... Um, McLaren told a story about how he McLaren kind of arrived, um, uh, agreed all his contract, did the injury press press conference, um, and didn't. Uh, it, it was that he would preseason training was starting the next day, but he didn't have anything lined up. So he went to Ten Hag and said, "You know, have you, can you, have you got any sessions that you can put on?" And Ten Hag pulled out this folder with six weeks worth of meticulously planned mm. coaching exercises and drills and everything down to sort of water breaks and what the we thought the players should be eating for their meals in that time as well and it was just like you, you know McLaren was expecting kind of the outlines of a few sessions that were going to keep him going yeah. but what he got was an entire preseason planned out to the you know more or less to the minute so that's the kind of thing that you know, he he would have known that there was a new manager coming in and he would have had to have done some sort of preparation. But that level of detail was just, you know, phenomenal and very much above and beyond. Yeah, there's a quote of like March 2019, the flight back from Madrid after their 4-1 win, the famous Ajax 4-1 win. And naturally, everybody on the flight is ecstatic and celebratory and Ten Hag is watching clips of Fortuna Sittard, their weekend opponents, and an, an anonymous player said, sometimes you think enjoy it more. And still, uh, look, Ten Hag is a workaholic. These guys are all workaholics. That is one of the things they have in common. Do you know what's kind of interesting, though? Because even take the managers in action this evening that we're all very aware of, Simeone, Pep, 
Klopp. They have this very striking charisma of different kinds of charisma, very striking authority, forces of personality in their own way. If they walked into a room you or I were in, Nick, I suspect we would notice. And that was long before they were managers of Atletico and Manchester City and Liverpool. They just have a certain something about them. What's very striking about Ten Hag is people are at pains to point out that he doesn't really have that kind of quality or certainly he's had to improve in that area. And so examples would include last year when supposedly he interviewed for the Spurs job, it was felt there was a lack of charisma or a lack of uh, communication skills. And, and your piece hints at it as well. So I thought this was really interesting. Goes to Munich for these few years, comes back and is the Utrecht manager. And uh, Robin Reuter, the goalkeeper at Utrecht, talks about his communication skills. So this is only five, six years ago. Uh, when he first came, he wasn't that good at communication. He was a bit clumsy. It, it's not that he couldn't communicate. But for example, in the beginning, in every sentence, he would say, uh, 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 he would say that like 10 times every sentence. People were distracted because once you noticed it, you couldn't hear anything else. But he has made such a good progression in terms of talking to the media. And if you look at the start of the Ajax career, he was still a bit clumsy but he's way better in front of the camera. His communication is way better. Very interesting. Very at odds with like the precision he seems to be preaching over two-yard passes. And Simon Cooper was on last week and he mentioned the accent and the, the personality is not what you would associate with somebody of the super clubs. Tuchel jumps to mind as well. So be really interested for your thoughts on that area. Yeah, it was it, that, that was quite interesting for, for kind of a few reasons. Um, what I, I did, there was... Um, I think it was before Ajax's last home game, they did a some, I think it was probably Sky Sports, did a series of kind of Vox Pops outside the ground saying, with uh, Ajax fans saying, uh, you know, are you going to be sorry to lose Ten Hag? Looks like he's going to Manchester United. Do you think he'll be a success there? And one of the guys, one of the guys they spoke to said, um, to be a success at Manchester United, you don't need to be a coach, you need to be an ego, which it, I, I think kind of, plays it, it is a, quite a common sentiment i think but i um given that jose Mourinho and louis van Gaal didn't really succeed at manchester united i can't really think of two bigger egos in football management so i don't think that in in, in that respect that it, it will matter hugely what i think will matter is I don't know how many times I actually mentioned, I can't remember how many times I mentioned this in the piece because it got a little bit repetitive, but one of the things that kept coming up was um, along the same lines as the communication thing that you just mentioned. At most of the jobs he did, for the first three months or three, four months, the players were wouldn't be kind of that impressed. They would think, well, this guy's a bit strange. He does, as you say, doesn't, doesn't communicate particularly well with the media. He's not a kind of huge personality. Um, he he has these kind of weird foibles where he tells us what what kind of socks to wear, um, but after a while they would realise that his methods were working, and if, you know if they weren't winning they could see the progression in terms of their performances or their style of play. And all the while, while while the succession of different people were telling me, well, you know, the first impression wasn't amazing, and uh, we all thought it was a bit weird for the first three months. I just kept thinking, well, good luck with that at United. See how that plays out, you know. So I, I don't think I don't think that his a, a lack of a kind of force of personality will necessarily 
um, hamper him in terms of how he copes with the demands of the job. Where it might be a problem is convincing the players, these players who, you know, we've, we all know, we've all heard the kind of stories that have come out of the dressing room at various points over the last few years about their various dissatisfactions with different managers and their methods. If, if <clears throat> excuse me, if he can't get those players on board mm. quite early on, then, you know, he, he might have a few problems. Mm going to be very interesting i really enjoyed the piece nick people can check it out on the athletic thanks so much for joining us appreciate it no problem at all thanks for having me on cheers nick miller there who uh, wrote that piece on the athletic the education of eric ten hag is what it's called and it's on the athletic mick mccarthy's pop back in hello hello joe if manchester city concede in the next 15 minutes oh. And somehow then in extra time or be before that go out of the Champions League, which isn't a certainty, they're still winning 1-0 on aggregate at uh, Atletico Madrid, then Pep Guardiola will have, had, had, have had his mad Pep moment. It's easy for me to say. Um, he took off Kevin De Bruyne after 65 minutes uh, for Raheem Sterling, uh, the only sub they'd made at the time, and uh, people erupted. It was time to change things, Pep, but not De Bruyne, not that Bruyne. What are you doing? He takes off... The, one of the best players in the world. Um, since then, Atletico have looked dangerous, not necessarily because of that, but City do seem to be a little bit edgy, I would say. And Atletico haven't created a huge amount, but they've shown that they're able to cut through City a little bit with some pretty brilliant uh, quick passing movements. So this is far from over. I wouldn't say it's uh, likely that they score, but it's definitely not... Um, it's definitely not out of the realms of possibility. No. Kyle Walker went off as well with... What looked at the time maybe like a slightly serious injury, but he's kind of limping off on the sideline there. I just saw him a minute ago. He didn't seem too bad, but uh, Nathan Aki has come on for him. Dynamic of this game now shifts for these next 15 minutes because it let it go get desperate. They're going to push and they've lots of brilliant attacking players. Yeah. And Man City will get very, very edgy. And I would now, if I was a City supporter, be very worried because I don't think just because it let it go come out and play, City are necessarily going to hammer them on the break because they're still just brilliantly drilled defensively at Letico so I think yeah. it's 50, 20, 20 minutes of Atletico going for broke increasingly Yeah it was absolutely and they are, they're pressing really high as well which is making City just edgy like the has just had his second um, shot to just go uh, to the to the, um, just wide in the last few minutes alone they're appealing for a penalty here like Atletico are kind of all over them <laughs> it's a terrible dive but Atletico are all over them at the moment and yeah as I said edgy City we'll see what happens like They've taken off Griezmann as well, which I think is one of those things that you think, like, that's a manager who's just really in control of things and comfortable in his job and confident in himself as well. Like, Griezmann's not playing well. He's not the player he was. I don't need to leave this guy on because he's got a big reputation. I've got other players who can do the job for me, you know? So, yeah, worrying times for City. I think it's 3-2 now to... Uh, yes. well, it sounds like a very entertaining but ultimately pointless <laughs> game of football at Anfield. It's the perfect game at Anfield. Entertaining as hell. Goals going in, but Benfica's still very much at bay. Canate and then Firmino twice. Liverpool's three goals and Benfica have just, uh, as I said, pulled one back to make it 3-2 on 73 minutes. But Liverpool, three goals to the good on aggregate. So really, uh, this game in Madrid is the interesting one. 13 minutes plus added time to go there. And our football show coverage is with, thanks to Sky, proud partner of the women's national football team, Out Believe Together, and we can go anywhere. Back in one sec. Where's Benfica? They're making a go, but it's three all at Anfield now. Benfica have just scored a third. So a lively game. 
Liverpool still very comfortable, obviously, on aggregate, but three all. Liverpool having to not do what uh, reminds me of Scotty Sheffer not having to five put or six put <laughs> yeah. on the 18th. What would but be the equivalent? They knew, he did. He, they, he did four put or three put, so it could be close. And still nil all in Madrid, and Atletico are starting to push, and City are getting that bit edgy. So the Luis Suarez is on Joe. Dynamic is changing. It's written. Yeah. Uh, City in attack now with Suarez on as you said Griezmann's off Kevin De Bruyne's off for uh, Sterling but this game is now starting to go a touch end to end in Madrid with 8 minutes to go plus added time very happy to say Dion Fanning is with us Associate Editor at The Currency Dion great to have you on Hey Joe how are you? Are you watching much of the game this evening? I've been watching the game with uh, one shot on target <laughs> uh, rather than the game with six goals so, so uh, we all do. <laughs> I know. I, I was I reading know. reports of uh, Phil Foden being roughed up, and I see him going around Terry Butcher style. Uh, he is, yeah. No, the 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 Atletico approach it is kind of is extraordinary. Like you know, now obviously the last ten minutes it's it's changed a bit, but um, uh, they're absolute. Um, uh, their absolute determination to play no football is um it's like you know it is it is like just it's like an ideology you know like when when there's an option of, of playing football and not playing football sometimes they do actually go for the option of not playing football uh um it's like the way you know in certain places they would in gaelic football they would they would abhor soccering you know somebody who might play the ball on the ground and uh, they'd say like you know you've got to get it into your hand even though the logical thing to do might be just to pass it on the ground and uh, um, and this is this is like a, like it is like an ideology you know um, and uh, watching it now the, you know the last few minutes look they have they are opening it up a bit but it's uh, um I you know I think it, it would be better I think if Manchester City went through although it would be kind of uh, quite a thrilling shock if if Atletico did it. Yeah, well you join luminaries like Arrigo Saki and Marco van Basten who've been very critical of Atletico since the first leg. To which Simeone said yesterday, like my dad says, the fish dies by the mouth. The fish dies by the mouth. Dion, it's a saying. Talk is cheap. Talk is free. Everybody can talk. So Simeone does not care one bit and it is uh, quite striking that players like Luis Suarez Griezmann João Felix all pitch up into this environment I mean you'd think they'd be running a million miles away from it but there's something in Simeone's force of personality and I suppose success as well we should state which means they're happy to go along with it yeah but it's yeah um, but you know and his personality I think kind of gets gets him off the hook a lot of the time because you do have this huge charisma and this huge personality there that is um, uh, kind of captivating but the football is is really terrible and Atletico aren't they're not a small club like they're not like how much did Joe Felix cost them mm. um, it's not uh, it's not um, that they're that they're not they're not Villarreal you know mm. uh, it's it's um, Oh, uh, almost chance ball, see they're rather yeah. good when they go forward deflected out for yeah, the corner and Simeone is about it. about the highest paid coach in world football as well yeah it's it's so it's um, 
it's it is about it is uh, that is that, that's that's what I mean. I do feel that it kind of because of of his, because of the passion and the and the manner in which he oh. he goes about it. <laughs> Various tones of oh, from you too. I like it. Uh, almost scoring Atletico. Yeah, uh, what's happened there? Is it, is it, Ederson, savage, is Ederson it? came from a corner, didn't get it, and at the far stick there was an Atletico leg which was inches away from tapping the ball into an empty net. Yeah. Um, the original block um, by Stones was actually fantastic to bring it out for a corner in the first place a real goal saving uh, challenge but uh, yeah they, Ederson made a, a ball to the uh, cross then afterwards so. and Dion uh, speaking of Pep he hasn't done anything too untoward this evening no he's been uh, he's um, kept it you know he kept his uh, kept, kept it together you know De Bruyne went off uh, after how long what time did De Bruyne go off? But apart from that, it hasn't been, it hasn't been, uh, it hasn't been anything too um, uh, crazy from Pep. He hasn't overthought it. But but again, there haven't been like there, there hasn't been much happening in the game. And in a strange way, that as it goes along, is uh, as possibly. You know, it, it sort of it slows City down. They have no they've no rhythm. There's nothing. You know, uh, Atletico's whole approach is based on um, getting them out of their rhythm. The way they went after Foden in the game was, you know, there was there was an extraordinary moment where you know, just that classic again. Savage at one point just giving giving Foden uh, just a, a sort of shoulder charge, uh, going going kind of going crossing over the about five yards just to give him a bit of a shoulder charge for no reason, mm. uh, and that kind of stuff. Which again, let it go. Why did he dump me? What the? <laughs> why did he step? Why did he dump me in? Why did he step over? Atletico are really putting it up to City here. They're having uh, several close calls. Somebody's texting to say, Simeone, the highest paid coach in world football? Question uh, mark. Yes, he is. You will. Well, I mean, I wouldn't suggest reflect too closely on your own life, and I'll do similarly. But uh, you'll be upset to hear Diego Simeone earns forty million euro annually for the job he does at Atletico. So that makes him, I uh, think, by distance the highest paid coach in football. And now a big melee hurling style, Mick. We were talking hurling. Has more, kicked off in the game, corner. <laughs> this is something got very entertaining, Joe. despite the one shot and goal that we all had to endure Dion for the first uh, for the first yes. 75, 80 minutes. There are about fifteen players, both sides, and then a whole bunch of people from the bench in the as we watch it on TV, left <laughs> corner, right on the corner flag, all pushing, jostling. There's a Man City player down on the ground, so clearly there was a Foden. challenge. Foden. Foden. Okay. Foden's down, and then uh, a sub had a go. At, was it was it Savage? It's yes, somebody's... Savage. Grealish is now reasoning with Savage, saying, "Come on, yeah. you knew that was nasty." Somebody's got their somebody got their hair pulled. I think it's uh, yeah. Everyone's does does how many people are there? There's about, it's about forty people about involved 40 in this thing. People. Yeah. This uh, wouldn't be like Atletico uh, at all now, I have to say. Uh, while, while we have a pause in this, a word on last night's football. Bayern out and uh, Luka Modric, we genuflect before the older. I, yeah, it was, it was uh, phenomenal. Now, I, I do think um, uh, Chelsea, Chelsea will wonder how, they, how they, they blew it, really, because they did seem to have, to have Real there for the taking. And... Uh, um, to let to let them back into it, um, 
was was you know the way the game was going it was it was there for chelsea and i think all the vulnerabilities in in uh in madrid were the, could be were, were on display and then the the, the 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 things that get them out of jail so often the players that get them out of jail modric benzema um and the pass you know it really was it was it was just one of those one of those moments that when you see it, the, when you saw it live, you kind of go, "What was that?" And then every replay you watch, you just want to see more, more angles of it. It was it was extraordinary. And did Chelsea hand them the initiative when they got back? You know, when they got back into the tie, did they stop playing, or did Madrid up it, or what was your read on the game? I think Chelsea. I think Chelsea. I think they handed them the initiative a bit. I don't. I don't think Madrid really upped it. I think they. I don't think they're capable really of. Uh, of upping it too much, they don't have like the Modric can make a pass, and you know he he had the he got time and space to make the pass, but they're not really a, a side that I think can can change or force the pace of a game anymore. So I think it really was um, something that that Chelsea will will look back at and think that they were that that they just they they let they let them get away. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah. No, no, I just think it was, given where Chelsea had been recently, it was such a missed opportunity. Obviously, uh, the Brentford game and, you know, what's what's happening at the club more more fundamentally. I think it's uh, it, it's something they really, um, they really needed. Mm. Uh, Felipe is in the process of being sent up, but he's refusing to leave the pitch because he thinks it's a chronically awful decision. His teammates are now just dragging him away. Uh, peak Atletico here oh he's kicked something uh, this is uh, a wonderful sign off <laughs> uh, Simeone's nodding proudly with his arms crossed this is why we sit through as Mick said this is why we sit through the one shot on target because we know that something like this is, he's Simeone is, to Beckham this. there's nothing in this is a, this is a complete <laughs> Simeone Beckham kick he tackles Foden fairly Foden sort of half comes down on him and he just gives a little kick into the back of Foden's legs it's very David Beckham on Simeone and that's what caused all hell to break loose and so Felipe's been sent off and he's disgusted walking down the tunnel he's also killed two minutes of time in injury time when his team is chasing the game like he's a complete head case like yeah jeez yeah (laughs) they did have their best chance they they just had their best chance of the game as well Uh, and now they've just spent uh, you know five minutes brawling at at the wrong end of the pitch yeah self-defeating moment I think uh, one mm-hmm. last quick one Dion just to reflect on the last 24 hours for Irish football amazing result in Sweden a quarter of a million people watching on RTE there's a real sense of uh, I think capturing the uh, sporting public this Irish team now as they're growing into this World Cup qualification group yeah it's 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 a fantastic story and it it kind of demonstrates everything that can be done with kind of will and purpose and a team that captures the imagination. And when there is, when there is a prize that people get excited about, like qualification uh, and everything comes together and you see the way the team excites people, the way they're, they're, um, the way they're advanced and the way they're, they're um, put forward is, it's just, it's just a kind of, it's, it's, it's a great story in terms of of what of what it's done for 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 football and for women's football, um, and just the and the and the audience that is there for it, and it's and it's just it's going to grow and grow like that is the thing. It is uh, 
something that's going to get bigger and bigger and it's a fantastic result it sure is we are uh, slightly out of time there's nine minutes of added time here and so there's five six minutes uh, left so you're due about three more red cards and maybe a goal or two so we'll let you go and watch that for the time being thanks Dion appreciate it thanks lads Dion Fanning there of the currency still 3-3 at Anfield by the way so Liverpool going through 6-4 and like I said nine minutes of added time in Madrid back in one sec Kitchen sink being thrown by Atletico. A vicious ball whipped into the area there. Free kick and City get away with it. So still 1-0 on aggregate. Nil all on the night. Atletico get into 10 men. They have three, maybe tops, four minutes of injury time. Yeah. To try and stop Suspicious goalkeeper injury to, to slow things down here for City as well. So. City cynically <laughs> approaching this game. <laughs> They're entitled to be cynical for at least three minutes of this time. OTBAM back tomorrow. Paul Williams will be talking about the Kinahan situation. Tommy Welch will be on talking hurling, Phil Thompson football, rugby with Alan Quinlan. So stacked show tomorrow. Our football show coverage with thanks to Sky, proud partner of the women's national football team, out believe together and we can go anywhere. That is pretty much us done. Uh, we're back tomorrow, seven o'clock as usual. Tom Dunn on the way next. Good luck.